Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, 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 yo. K-Nut. Hey, Howard, how are you? And we got another K in the room, Nikita. Hello. Kita. How is everybody? Kita for short. <laughs> K-Ita. What is up, Nikita? Um, the sun is shining and uh, we are all talking. Everything's great. Everything's great. Can't see it because Canute has done a terrible job setting up the <laughs> studio from scratch. He's <laughs> I'll take that. Hair cursing in the background. It is summer's upon us. I'm in Phoenix. Nikita is in Vancouver. We have not met. Nikita is coming to meet Team Social Leverage uh, next week. She's been locked up in Vancouver, and uh, she's ready to in in pursuit of this canoe. She had a bumble date this weekend. All right, <laughs> she did. And and we won't tell the guest because he's in the green room. But we won't tell Jim Lanzone, our guest today, a legend in the internet industry and currently CEO of Tinder. Uh, that she's bumbling. So we'll do this before she gets on the phone. But she had a great bumble experience, Knut. I'm pleased to hear that. I'm sure we'll hear all about it in the next... Right uh, now. Yeah, or right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so this is how famous you know, I am. It was, it was in the spirit of due diligence. This is a famous Howard moment in the background. So Nikita's on. She's like, I'm going to use Bumble. And I get why women use Bumble. And we're going to maybe talk to Jim a little bit about this. Because uh, I use Tinder. And I'm immediately outrageous when, I, when a woman matches with me. But wait a minute, that's in my fantasy life. I don't use Bumble. <laughs> but my father-in-law, who uses Bumble as me. Oh, my God. Uh, anyways, she bumbles. Cause, and in Vancouver, you know, it's uh, she's very picky. And she matches with the guy, right? And in Bumble, you have to then text the guy, Nikita? Yeah, the girl so has she to said something very. Movie, yes. I saw the text. She texted something very innocuous, like, hey, uh, my halitosis is cleared up. I'm ready to date, which is a good opening line for a girl. <laughs> Thank <laughs> I had, you. I put the little popsicle stick in my mouth and nothing came out on it. And so I'm clean <laughs> to date. Anyways, and the guy stayed engaged. And uh, what did he say to you? No, you said something very innocuous, like, hey, I'm Nikita. Yeah. I literally just said, hi, it's Nikita. And uh, he responds and he's like, first of all, he starts by saying, hey, yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah, which is an immediately killer if you're me. I mean, immediately that's like a, that's like a date killer. But he goes, hey, yeah. I know. And uh, same thing. And then he's like, oh, I creeped on your LinkedIn. And uh, Howard is so funny. And that is his first text back to me. There's guys, Canute, he, he has a beautiful woman on the hook there, and he goes right to Howard. And he talks about you? Yeah, that wrecks it for Nikita, right? <laughs> Nikita has seen me, and therefore this guy just blew it for himself. Probably a lovely lad, maybe a future Prince Charming, but uh, can't get his head out of the uh, Howie, Howie town. So uh, that's weird and funny, and Nikita is damn cool. She's out there sharing these stories and living life in lockdown Vancouver and coming across the border to hang out. So uh, today, let's get right to it because Jim uh, is a busy guy. Um, I'm going to give some background because I don't want him to have to bore people, but uh, early internet man, uh, 
was CEO of Ask Jeeves at one time. Remember Ask Jeeves? One of the greatest websites was Google before Google. <laughs> uh, his work with Barry Diller. Uh, I think he's back with Barry Diller now because of Match.com, I think, owns Tinder. I've owned the stock a long time. Don't own it right now. It was an 8 to 80 brand of mine. Uh, he was, I think, my boss for about an hour uh, at CBS because he came in to run CBS Interactive, I think, for eight or nine years after they bought his company, Clicker. And so Jim knows all about media, future of media, streaming, as he built out for CBS. And now CEO of Tinder. So I got a lot of questions. I'm sure Nikita has a lot of questions. And if Canoe can just keep this thing up and running, we got a show. So let's get uh, Jim on the show. You got it. Jim Lanzone. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Thank you. You are in the Valley. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm in, up in San Francisco. And so how big is Tinder right now? How big is a company employees sorry oh uh, i don't think employees are just closed howard oh uh, but okay. um, i've already broken the rules it, t- it takes me yeah, no- <laughs> i don't think the exact number i don't want to be the first to, right. to break that news but uh but big i mean it's, it's the number one uh, grossing non-gaming app in the world um and number one in over 100 countries and and then match group which we're a part of you know owns 20 or so internet brand, you know, brands in the same space. So we're part of the, we're part of that conglomerate. And how did it happen? You uh, will we'll go back and forth. Cause you know, some of the people that I've had on the podcast, but you're an employee. I mean, you're an entrepreneur in residence, a senior entrepreneur in residence. Cause you stepped out of CBS and retired for about an hour. And <laughs> so you're at benchmark, you're an entrepreneur in residence and, and, was it fast? Like, was it just like, did you know that they were out looking or were you just kind of trying to start something new? How did you get sucked back into the game? I mean, fast ish. I mean, I left Viacom CBS right around the time of the merger. So December of 19 and started up at benchmark. And then, which is what I did last time. I was an EIR at Redpoint last time um, in 2008 before I started my company and right, you know, pre what a month after I joined Benchmark, COVID hit, uh, and so you know I was part of the world adjusting to that, and then and then this happened, and so the you know I knew a lot of the board members and the team here, you know, going back a long way to my time at IEC, and so we started having those conversations over the summer, and I joined at the end of July. Yeah, because I have good friends like Brian Norgar was a Tinder, and you know him, and he's yep. no longer there. Yep. So it's like, what? I've just and followed. He helped start Tinder. I, I knew Norgard and Sean Rad, but, but when they were doing Adley, which was I their Adley. before before Tinder, yeah. Yeah, and I passed on Tinder. Adley because I didn't get it. I figured Twitter would fuck them, so I never invested. I mean, right? The very first really influencer marketing yeah. company. Uh, they were they were onto it. Yeah. Um, and then Tinder was started out of Hatch Labs, which was started at IC by some people that I worked with right at the end, you know, right before I left there. So I knew, I knew all those guys before, yeah, before, you know, over the years and before I came here. Was it an easy decision or were you looking to start your own company or what was the EIR idea? Well, that was a, a benchmark and Bill Gurley were my uh, main investors in, uh, in Clicker back in 2008, 2009. So, and, you know, and, and I'm an investor in Benchmark and have been, it's, it's one of the home bases for me. So it was just a place to go to recalibrate and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, you know, one of which has always been, I've always been part of either startups or turnarounds and things not really with 
the wind in my back. And uh, I've had this career where I've gone back and forth between doing things very early, but then managing, you know, more than 15 years of my career has been managing things at scale inside of public companies. And as you know, you know, there aren't very many blue blood internet brands at this point that are ever on the lookout for CEOs. Um, you know, founders don't leave very often anymore the way they did 10 plus years ago. That's interesting. So this was a once, you know, the once in a generation opportunity to come in and, and run one of the biggest brands in internet history um, in a space that is growing like crazy um, and, and to be able to help build out and, and things that I'm traditionally love doing and I'm good at, um, you know, product growth, building out teams. And so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, there was one exact thing I wanted to do, but this is pretty, pretty attractive. And what is, this leads to a bunch of questions, but what is, you know, the brand is the brand, like you said, a hundred countries, number one non-gaming app. So what is the mandate for like a, a gym lens on like one, two, and three, or is there just one thing? Well, look, whenever you're in a public company, the, the, you know, the number one thing is growth, right? Mm -hmm. But the question is eight plus years into this, I think I joined the week of the eighth anniversary of Tinder and when it had been founded. Um, you know, really, if you kind of go back over time, the product, it had this amazing product market fit, right? Um, one of the most immediate and best instances of it in the history of the internet, um, where, uh, you know, between swiping and, and double opt-in, it just created this amazing um, product where people were, were having really good outcomes. And that's why Tinder grew the way it did. But over the years, um, you know, it was a brand that didn't do much marketing behind it. It didn't, uh, you know, have a lot of different dimensions to it beyond the core swiping app. Uh, and so, you know, what is the next act for something that as a brand is strong enough and as a product is strong enough uh, to become a platform, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and meanwhile, you know, I think, I mean, if you go all the way back to Match, but even over the years, you know, online dating originally had a stigma attached to it. And I would say, you know, I'm Gen X. Even among our generation, there still is a bit of it. As you get younger, that stigma goes completely away. And our, our audience is mostly under 30. And for that generation, this, you know, Tinder is online dating. And online dating is the way you meet new people. And that's now true globally. Um, you know, our biggest growth area is APAC. Um, and... So, you know, this is something where there's there's so much more you could do with it. And that really is a big part of that mandate. And so has it been weird being off the road? Because if APAC such a big part of the growth story, does that make it harder? All of it. I mean, I, I still have not been in the office with uh, with other employees. So I'm, I'm some kind of, uh, you know, lab experiment on taking over as CEO of a big company in the middle of the pandemic. I had, a, I had a couple times in September, October, I met my exec team down in LA, but otherwise we've all been at home this entire time. And, you know, that's had pluses and minuses because actually, as you all know, going, you can go really deep with people over Zoom. And if you've been doing consumer inter internet a long time, you know, there's so much that's common with things that I've done in the past that it's been, you know, not the hardest thing to come up to speed on and get my head around. So, you know, um, as things open back up, it's going to be really interesting to go back to work. But, uh, but yeah, from day one, I've been doing this whole thing over Zoom. And will you commute down to LA or, or stay up there? Both. So at CB Center Active, as, as you know, I had 30 plus brands and they were all over the country and, and some in other countries. And I was on the road probably 75% of the time in that job, even though our headquarters was in San Francisco. 
And in this job, it's somewhat similar. There's We have a headquarters in LA on Sunset Boulevard, but we have a big office in Palo Alto, another one in San Francisco, and even another one. I just hired my new CMO, uh, who was the, formerly the CMO of Pizza Hut. He is in Dallas. So I'm going to be between offices anyway. And then also there's the massacre people in New York uh, and Dallas. So I'll, I'll be a road warrior again. Yeah, I'm I'm debating. I'm 55, so I think about it all the time and I'm like, wow, the CEO role won't go away. You got to travel. And I'm thinking, you know, if I look back at the date of a uh, 15 months of locked up for me, I did one investment. Like, you know, I've been so active, you know, almost an investment a month for like 10 years, and I just I did a lot of personal 25, 50, 100k investments and fund investments, but I couldn't pull the trigger without meeting the team. So I'm wondering how in a corp debt, like if you're going to build the platform and, and Tinder's kind of stands for online dating, I mean, acquisitions, I, I think that's hard if you can't travel and meet the people. Obviously, people have been doing acquisitions. I just wonder how you feel about that in, in a post-COVID world. Well, it's funny. I think about it is if, if you think back, I remember getting Zoom at CBS Interactive before I left and everyone talking about how much better it was than blue jeans and other things that we had used. But if you think back, you would do phone calls before you did video calls yep. and, and video team calls were always kind of a cluster. And so I, this definitely advanced the cause of, you know, we're not going to fly in for one meeting anymore. Right. Yep. Um, my last year at CBS, I was in New York 30 plus times and you know, those days are over. So I think it's the life balance of being able to handle this is, you know, I think zoom, I think the pandemic has solved that somewhat. And at the same time, you know, I'll, I'll be in New York in, in June for board meeting and, and we're starting to get back out there too. So that part's good also. And then, so let's talk about the past a little bit because you were like so early in video. I was early on video. I'm trying to think what led you from like the search to video and clicker. What was the aha moment for you and, and walk people through what clicker was. I know Jason Hirshhorn and his podcast, I'll refer back to him really dug into right. the video stuff, but your angle on video, what got you excited about starting Clicker? And and then let's just move forward to today and where the whole thing is, because you did this for CBS. Yeah. I mean, I was coming off of many years of doing search, running ask, uh, where we were the turnaround team after the, you know, after the first crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the head of product there and worked up to CEO. So I'd done search a long time. And then I joined Redpoint as EIR and I spent that year, uh, Dave Goldberg, who I'm sure you knew sure. as well, but uh, who passed away, but a very good friend of mine, was in the EIR at Benchmark that year that I was in the EIR at Redpoint. And so we were both on Sand Hill Road, and we'd meet for coffee every Monday uh, down at Starbucks. And we started brainstorming this thesis uh, of the future of video is going to be search. It's going to be, you know, you're going to navigate digitally to discover new content. And that hadn't been built yet. You know, video search at that point was very random. Uh, and the future was going to be some combination of video search combined with a uh, programming guide. And what would that look like? And if you started to bring things like social into it again, this is 2008. So it was still pretty early for that. So that was kind of what we started brainstorming. Um, and at a certain point, Dave might've gone to do it, but he, he wound up buying survey monkey and I got really passionate about it. Bill Gurley became very passionate about this idea uh, so kind of called some of my old team out of the woods and we spent a year in stealth building it. 
so I kind of migrated into video through search almost. But I look, I was a big pop culture kid growing up, uh, went to UCLA, you know, big part of me was always uh, a media freak, kind of like Hirshhorn. You know, we said thing that we love to do together is, uh, uh, you know, talk about random pop culture things. And so I always loved the space. And so it was really natural for us to go after it. So, but we launched that in uh, TechCrunch 50 in September of 09. And then we agreed to be bought by CBS in February of 11. So we weren't even really around that long. Yeah, because I was bought by Quincy in 2007. And then I maybe ran into a few times at some uh, CES events. And then I saw Clicker. Why has there been no innovation in this since Clicker? What the fuck? Like, I can't. We have 9,000 clickers. Well, Nothing look. works. Apple uh, typing in a password takes 45 minutes in, in a TV. So why can't anybody figure this out? Yeah, look, I mean, it's been 10 years and we got a little hamstrung by the fact that at that exact same time, Hulu launched and had some things that I don't think anyone foresaw, which was networks giving them their content for free to post online for free. And uh, still, in hindsight, a lot of that makes no sense to me uh, versus the way that we did it with CBS, which is build out our own uh, and control 100% of it. Um, but, uh, you know, and if you remember the Sarah Palin uh, SNL skits, we kind of became Hulu's moment there in the fall of 08. So some things changed pretty quickly in that space. But as we saw it, you know, we needed to index and normalize the data across everything, right? Netflix, uh, Amazon, Hulu. We even index a huge amount of YouTube. So essentially our, our view is index it down to the midtail and leave the long tail for Google, but then organize it by category and, and make it uh, you know, discoverable that way and navigable that way. And so I'm still really proud of that product. It was awesome. Uh, when we got to CBS though, my job changed. It became the CEO of CBS Interactive. I now had to make Sophie's choices across all kinds of things in that portfolio. <laughs> and we absolutely, after the first year, you know, really realized the way this all needed to head. And so the, the very small revenue attached with being lead gen for the future of TV, especially in those early days, became not the most interesting thing is we needed to add, you know, hundreds of, of millions of revenue for, for our growth path. So we, you know, we focused very distinctly on certain things, one of it which became streaming and CVS All Access, which we created, um, but also other things like fantasy sports and some others that were going to be the big breadwinners. And this wasn't. Fast forward 10 years, I actually think there are some startups now starting to come along in this space, trying to do it again, uh, that I've seen and and will probably hit the market pretty soon. It still is kind of a sport of kings where these big streaming players control the data and your access to them. And it's not the, you know, the use case is not perfect in that world, right? It's not Wild West that you're organizing and presenting it back to the user. You have to really work with these companies. And they don't all—they don't really want a middleman, you know. They don't want a middleman, so we're always going to be stuck. Nikita, who's thirty, watches video probably. Nikita, how do you? Is it mostly TikTok for you? Like, how are you consuming video? Is it like in just different ways throughout the day? Firstly, I am twenty-nine. Oh, and <laughs> you've been twenty-nine for six years. <laughs> and secondly, yes, uh, TikTok for sure. If I'm watching video. Um, just because it's so quick, right? And you can watch so many as opposed to like watching a long form video. 
And how is that, Jim, like would affect that? Like, well, how does CBS, do you think, thinking about all this stuff? Or is it just impossible? It's just new battle for attention and you can't really compete on that part of the attention graph. Something total, I think is just totally different, right? One is highly produced, really expensive, long form premium content. And one is user generated for the most part, uh, short form content. I mean, really it goes back to Vine, right? If you think about the opportunity there, yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, TikTok carved off this space in the world that's just like Twitch did, which is very unique, uh, especially from, from YouTube, which is where I think the main competition for that is. It's not HBO, CBS, Showtime. I wouldn't, you know, it's all, it's all for uh, a battle for attention, but I, yeah. I would say they're not one to, you know, they're not apples to apples on the video front. And so today at Tinder, what is still the way people match? Photo? Or is it tech? What do you think is the killer still feature of Tinder? Um, today, it is, it is largely photos. The future, you know, I think for, you know, again, our, our, our core demographic is under 30. It's Gen Z. Those people live in video. Clearly, the future uh, can only be photos. Uh, but, you know, look, the goal, though, for Tinder is, you know, what is the job that Tinder does? It's to make these connections between people that didn't exist before. It's not just to be a video destination for the sake of it. You know, if we were to post Coachella on the platform, it would be to help people meet other people around that, not because we want to compete with Live Nation, right? right. And uh, that'll be true as we become more multidimensional in, in terms of all kinds of different ways. It's not just the media that people present their profile, but... Um, the activities that people can do together within the app, um, they're all designed or going to be designed uh, to help people make the best connections possible, including, you know, unexpected ones, which I think is one of the coolest things about this. And, you know, there's been studies showing that online dating is increasing, you know, the rate of interracial marriage and, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, the, the younger generation is much more fluid and, and that's true in all kinds of different dimensions. And, you know, Tinder needs to adapt along with that. Um, the last thing I'd say is one of the biggest trends in the space is, you know, not what I would call friendship, uh, you know, connections, but, you know, it's a pathway towards, towards dating, right? And more and more younger people want to connect to become friends first with the possibility of more later and enabling those experiences is something that we need to do, uh, do a better job of. It's not something we've done a ton of in the past. There was one called Swipe Night that has won a lot of awards. That was a, I don't know, um, very highly produced, excellent choose your own adventure video series uh, that was launched um, in 2019 and, and 2020 uh, that over 25 million users of Tinder use, and they use that as a way to connect to other people. So that's a good example of the types of things that we could do in the future. Quick CEO question. So why do you think now it's more found, like, is it just because the structure of these companies and network effects, the founders don't get replaced as much? Uh, so going from Internet 1 to Internet 2 and now Internet 3, which is all blockchain, how, is, how have you seen the biggest change here? Because you're right, you should have jumped at the Tinder thing because it's a rare brand. Um, but how come there's so few? Well, if you think, think about the history of it, right? In Web 1.0, all the 20-something founders were told they didn't know what they were doing. You had to bring in grownups from Procter & Gamble, you know, in Bain Consulting to be your grownup in the room. Huh. As it played out, you know, in, in the Web 2.0, those founders did not cede control. They brought those people in kind of in the, the Cheryl role. Um, 
and as COO and didn't really give up control either, you know, uh, manager, you know, managerially or uh, voting share wise. Right. And so, you know, we're just well past that where, where originally it was just thought that people couldn't run their own companies. Now you wouldn't imagine that Brian Armstrong would step aside in favor of uh, somebody more experienced. I, you know, again, look, I think I fall somewhere in the middle because I'm, I'm a product person. I, I run everything from the point of view of product and I've been an entrepreneur. So I'm, you know, I'm not a professional manager only. It's just that I've done it for a long time now. Um, but I, I come in with a founder's mentality and I run things that way, even if I'm, if I'm not the founder. All right, I'm going to give Nikita a chance and flip back to Tinder. I imagine the biggest competitor is Bumble, yes? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely one. And then again, we have Hinge is a fast growing brand internally at Match, which is then also competing back with Bumble. And you're talking about in the United States, right? We operate probably 70% more countries than they do so far. And in Got those it. countries, we'll compete with people like Badu in Brazil, which is actually owned by Bumble. It's actually bigger than Bumble technically by the number of users they have wow. or paying, paying members they have. And it was founded by uh, the Badu team. Like the Bumble was born out of Badu in London. Um, and that's that founder. Um, so that that's their company. In Asia, we compete with companies like Tantan and Seoul. So it, it really depends by by country. Um, but Tinder is is one of the top two in pretty much every one of those those countries. All right, Nikita, chime in with some. You got you got Jim. Don't offend him, but chime in with some questions. You are a user, so let me know. Let's hit up. I am a user. <laughs> well, I think the first one, the friendship one, for sure. I think there's a lot of utility because. Uh, I was trying to do some due diligence for this podcast, and um, <laughs> that's why I downloaded Bumble last week. And how'd that, how'd that work? At first, I actually downloaded Bumble BFF because I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to start by making friends. But it was so interesting to see that boys basically they found a loophole where they're like, okay, we want to be friends with you, and uh, you know, it seemed like that basically was another loophole for guys to basically get matched and start a conversation. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, in, the market's just catching up on that side of thing. I mean, BFF has been around, I believe, since 2016. I mean, Bumble was founded in 2014. It was only, I think, 18 months after after Tinder. Oh. Yeah. Um, and, and BFF has been around quite a while. I mean, five or six years. But, and this really started a lot in Asia, actually, this, what they call alibi dating, which is we become friends first to then, then figure out if we want to date. And, you know, as a service, you have to give them a lot of, uh, you know, ways to do that. There's also markets like India and Japan where it's very matrimony based. And so that's a whole other, uh, other thing to look at. But, um, but yeah, I, I do think that this friendship thing is, is, is certainly a Gen Z uh, trend and, and one we all have to adapt to. And in America, Nikita, it's like, I think the women are the most forward, right? Like where a bumble just made sense because the guy's behavior and all the things about aggressiveness. Is that what you think, Nikita? Or what are you thinking if you got Jim to ask a question? Well, I was, I was actually thinking, especially after using Bumble that, yeah, like women get to make the first move. So I think it curates the feed a lot. And uh, you can also search for people by if they want a relationship or if they just want a casual uh, relationship. So you can filter by a lot of those things. And I think as a woman, it uh, it's a much more curated feed. But um, at the same time, it's very interesting that um, like 
I think that the model inherently is for people where if you have like a witty banter, then you are poised for success on the app, right? Because you're starting a conversation and you're looking for that instant connection. And I feel that I am pretty extroverted. And so I feel like I can have better conversations, but my sister is super introverted. And uh, I actually suggested to her to use the app a few months ago and she downloaded it and she came back. She was like, I don't like it because so, so it's like, maybe I wanted to ask you, Jim, that, that like, how do you think introverted people connect on like these apps? Well, I think there's a lot there. I mean, first of all, if you go back to what's, it, it may surprise you that to learn that Bumble and Tinder have about the same percentage of women using it. They're both only in the 30% range, 30 oh, interesting. plus percent range. And that's true on Bumble also. Um, and, and interestingly also, you know, we, we also allow women to make the first move. And I think 60 plus percent of women have made the first move on Tinder. We don't only allow them to make the first move. Um, and then when it comes to some of the controls, you know, we're, we'll be adding more of those, but it's, it's interesting. Some of them are, we have to be very careful. I think one of the great things about Tinder is it's not a judgmental product. We're not trying to decide for you what kind of relationship you should have. Um, and again, I think there's stats that show that Tinder could be driving up to 10% of all marriages in the United States. So it's, it is being used for people to date seriously, but we're not making that judgment. Our job is to make the best match possible. And then you take it from there. Some of the controls um, you know, especially ones like height and, and, and others, you know, we're really having to take a deep look at because some of them are very judgmental the other way. And, huh. and we don't want to, we don't want to do that. So it is a complicated space. I don't think it can be still down to marketing uh, and the positioning. It's, it's more, you kind of have to look at what's really happening in the products. And to your point on the introverted extroverted, I think one thing universally true is that men are not great with the, with uh, with the witty banter all the time. And by the way, right, Howard, you're in Phoenix. That's going to be true in every Scottsdale bar, you know, tonight. Yeah. Some men are better than others at it. It's true in dating apps. Um, and, but again, women don't always want to make that first move either. A lot of the common things for a woman when they're made forced to make the first move is they'll just hit a period and hit enter to, to have the guy make the first move anyway. Yeah, I've made the mistake in front of my daughter saying I got gypped when she was complaining about COVID. I said, you got gypped. I didn't have dating apps when I was, like I said, that in front of Ellen. So that didn't go over well. But, like, there's no bigger gyp to guys like, well, Knut's good looking. But, like, in college, I would have crushed without a headshot. Uh, There was no choice, but I led with a headshot. And then they heard my whiny voice being funny, but women had already decided. Whereas in a Tinder world, I'm, like, five-star. (laughs) <laughs> and I can't, I can't peacock myself because it would only get in trouble. So I feel yeah. like you know, the, the Gen Z people will be looking at you sideways too. Yeah. The <laughs> and what about me? Like, there's a lot of uh, fake. Age. Like, I deal with this on Stock Twist because I started this community, and and that's a really good point you made, Jim, about like you're not being judgmental on yeah. Stock Twits. We always battled that because we didn't want people to talk about penny stocks. Uh, we didn't because that led to like just insane banter and fighting and bad behavior. So we were kind of making a judgment. And now I hear back about, you know, I'm so fascinated by communities and you saying how you can build your profile. There's just no easy answer because you're always in a way making a judgment. But I think that's an interesting, I think we've opened up at StockTwits over the years as, as different CEOs have come in and I've moved more into just, you know, enjoying and watching, but always like, 
sticking my nose in when I think it's getting overheated or crazy. But like we've gone way more towards like let it happen. And I think the markets did it themselves with crypto being unregulated and 24-7. So the kind of markets took care of the community on its own. Um, I wonder, you know, that's interesting how you guys are thinking about that. It's not only um, relationship status, although that's a big one. They, they, you know, Gen Z does not want to necessarily put a label on things too quickly. So that's one way that they're more fluid. Obviously, they're they're more fluid sexually in terms of, uh, you know, where they are on that spectrum and much more open minded and fluid that way. Again, these are all things Tinder has to adapt to. And then I think become global trends. You know, the things that we see in North America, we very quickly thereafter see in Europe. Um, and it's it's very common to this generation. They're obviously digital first, so they're very comfortable operating in that environment. It's no longer about convincing them online dating is the way to do this. It's more making it great. Hmm. Um, and then, to your, by the way, you, you know, one thing you brought up there with the quality control, you know, trust and safety is one of the three main pillars of product that we have to build here. And I've always had to deal with things like, if you think of all the way back to search engines, I'd, we had to fight spam, Right. And that's a huge task for, for any search engine. Um, here, it's, you know, again, you, you don't want to connect with somebody if you think that you might get assaulted or bullied or any of these other things. So we put a huge amount of time and resources and money into uh, the trust and safety side of things as well. And then to do that globally is, is again, its own challenge that, that we, we fight every day. And I was going to chime in and I was going to say that I completely agree with that judgment part as well, because... You know, if you start to dictate on the app, then again, people just start bypassing, right? Like people learn very quickly that, oh, if I'm a guy and if I say that I'm interested in a relationship, then I'm going to get more matches. And it may not necessarily be true, but because they want to increase their odds, they learn to play that game very quickly. So I agree with you that people should be able to make their own decisions as opposed to kind of like have to gamify. Yeah, and I think our job with our technology and our product is to create the environment for you to meet the right person and, and you know, using our algorithms and all the other things that we do, uh, match you with the right person or several people who might be the right person and then let you decide. And I think that's that's really room for innovation for us is that swipe maybe zone of giving you more opportunities to figure out if this is the right person, which huh. we all know, you know, that matches real life too. It's not always love at first sight. There's There's ways you have to get to know people. And I think there's a lot more we can do to enable that. Well, for my son, it was a magical thing. Brian hooked him up. I, I, I pinged Brian. He was underage. I go, Brian, you know, Max, uh, Max at U of A. And um, he says he can't score because all his friends uh, are beating him with Tinder gold. So Brian sent him up with Tinder gold. And, <laughs> and the rest is history. His current girlfriend he met on Tinder, and she's lovely. Like, I mean, for my son, who's kind of shy but has a little bit of, he's an interesting kid. If you get to know him, it's a miracle at many levels, this stuff. You know, all these these mobile apps, these kids are just live differently. Like, it's just, I'm kind of yeah. a little bit jealous, but at the same time, they do miss out on a lot of the different types of excitements that we had at a younger age. It's just this whole different experience. Do your kids look at you differently now that you're CEO of Tinder? <laughs> well, they- no, because they're used to, you know, me running internet companies, but their friends do for sure. And uh, I have, you know, I have um, a couple kids who are now of the age to go on Tinder and, and, uh, and their friends are on it. So I get all kinds of good feedback. And 
a whole nother incentive to, to make it great, you know? That's true. Looking over my kid's shoulder is such an advantage. And you have to take yeah. this feedback because this is the generation that's using the app. That's right. Now, look, I was used to it from having, you know, friends uh, who were big Star Trek fans and wanted to give me all kinds of input on making Star Trek. It's all, you know, or, 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 you know, you, you would not be surprised how much feedback I got on fantasy football uh, and that product. But, you know, so I'm used to getting all the input, but not from 18 and 20 year olds. And do you miss CBS at all? You had a great run there. So it's like, what's the one thing that stood out the most over all those years at CBS? Cause that was a long run you had. I'd say two things probably like one is just our team was awesome. And right. I think there's a reason why we got to things earlier than other companies and grew the business the way we did. And, uh, and, and it was kind of Camelot for us as a team while, while we did it and just got to a place where everybody was just experts at what they did. And then high EQ people who loved working together. Um, and you know, yeah, we, we, our first business plan for CBS all access was the end of 2011 it took us then almost three years to get it approved, built and launched, but that was October of 2014. So really early still. And, you know, that product is probably even more successful than people externally would, would know, especially just because I think it's also really hard now to compare apples to apples in the industry. There's almost, if you go through almost no product in the OTT space got there the same way. Uh, they all had different angles at how they got there and kind of what went into it. So I was really proud of what we did there, but, but across all the businesses, we turned around Cena and that helped pay for all access, just all kinds of things. So I love the innovation and what we did. And, and I always love surprising people and, and going back to, to ask, you know, not the best internet brand in the world <laughs> that we inherited, but, you know, we innovated our asses off and, and really turned that company around. And, and I love doing that too. So, you know, wherever I go, whether it's, I, I, that's, those are my two favorite things to do, build, build teams and build great products. Yeah, recruiting the key part of all that that I've learned to be a successful leader, you got to be able to recruit. So you've met a lot of famous people. Who does anybody stand out over the years at CBS and now Tinder that like, wow, where you got like a little bit like, woo. That you wanted to swipe right on. Oh, that you would have swiped <laughs> right on. Yeah. Male or female? Well, I'll say the, the first one at CBS was LL Cool J. It was, was all over me right from the start. Like he loved, <laughs> he loved what we were doing. He, he was all for partnering up with us and coming to CES and being a part of it. He had his own kind of technology company that he was building. So, you know, that was one, but, you know, absolutely over the years, you meet, you meet all, all kinds of different uh, TV stars and musicians and athletes that, that are a part of that. Um, but uh, yeah. And I think you kind of get used to it. I, I still, it's still kind of a trip that, you know, when I, I went out to the soundstage in Santa Clarita by magic mountain to watch the filming of, Star Trek Picard, which was the, you know, the next generation sequel that starred Sir Patrick Stewart. And, you know, obviously you're not in a real spaceship. You're on a soundstage that looks like the inside of a spaceship. But to see him moving his hands around uh, in the air to what was then CGI going to be a dashboard in the, on the controls of the ship and watch him do take after take. And he never did it the exact same way. Huh. And he's being directed by, you know, uh, Michael Chabin from, you know, Cavalier and Clay and Wonder Boy is like the Pulitzer Prize winning author directing Patrick Stewart. And meanwhile, we're paying for this and it's our show <laughs> was definitely a trip itself. Three Internet brands that stand out like markets come down 30 percent. 
you know, you know brands, you've run brands, you've been around uh, the internet. What are three internet brands that, uh, you know, you see the market down 20%, you just go, eh, I'm not worried, and you just buy them? Or you hope for them to be down 20 25%. What three brands stand out uh, besides interactive? You're saying of just internet companies? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, look, I mean, I, I think there are certain fundamentals, and Twitter would be one of them for me. Uh, for sure. And um, relatedly, I'd say Spotify would be another. Okay. Any, any of these great subscription products. And if you saw Twitter building one of those, I think that's very interesting. Finally, right? Uh, Like, would you, do you scream at Twitter through Twitter sometimes yourself? Similar. I mean, I think from what I've read about it. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I personally think there's a lot Twitter could have been doing over the years to innovate you know, especially down the, the line of the interest graph um, mm-hmm. versus just the pure river that Twitter is there, you know, that could have been the giver of life to all kinds of other experiences mm-hmm. as it is. I still use it a hundred times a day. Right. Yeah. Me too. So I own it. Like, and I'm always aggravated because I'm like, if I own it and every, every smart person I call like yourself says, yeah, Twitter, why isn't the company worth more? You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. Tinder's worth as much or more than, but anyways, so, so Twitter, Spotify, and what would be a third? We're in the, we're in the same, we're in yeah. the same ranges as them. Yeah. You know, and by the way, and it's funny with these, these picking, because I, I still remember going to, I don't know if you remember this, but like at the code conference, we always used to have a dinner and we'd all do stock picks around the table. Yeah. 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 I used to do that. And we that through. Yeah. I still remember like one of them saying Roku and everyone's like, what? I was going to short that. Meanwhile, everybody was shorting Tesla as their stock pick. <laughs> <laughs> No, I remember these smart. And so what is it about Roku? Is it just great execution? Like, cause I had it disconnected, got mad at it. What is it about Roku? Just great execution or just a pure understanding of product market fit or, or just execution? First of all, hat tip to Anthony Wood for amazing stick over the years. Right. Yeah. But look, that box is a Trojan horse for what they then pivoted to, you know, which was, or is becoming building that into the TVs themselves. Right. That was smart. And being the operating system for television. Then if you own that upstream, then you can control experiences downstream and people like CBS All Access are now renting space, you know, on your land. And they really executed on that. And and we had an early view of that because at All Access, we saw what percentage of people were using Roku, whereas all of your friends in the industry thought it was Apple TV. But Apple TV was a niche product that was expensive. And for very high-end users, whereas Roku was being sold at Costco and Target uh, and selling like crazy. And that was the way that many more people were accessing our content. So it was not a fair fight because I had I could see the data that would show how many people were coming through that way. But, you know, look, it's, it's like with anything, it's not written in the stars. They and these things will be executed. Sure. Look at AT&T. They own DirecTV. That could have been Roku. Oh my it God, didn't have is- to just be satellites. They could have owned that space. The same way, I, I don't think there was a total failure of logic in thinking that protecting $3,000 worth of ARPU per year was, you know, if you added $20 of streaming subscription value to that, that that would be able to lock more people in your $3,000, right? right. Um, or $300 a month. Like that, the execution was off, but that theory, they, they had the, you know, the, the grit to go after and get that deal done, even after it was delayed. But then after it was done, not really to roll out the rest of it. 
Yeah, um, I think you, so, if you look at Roku and Twitter, it's like Twitter's interest grab. Roku executed around moving upstream around the operating system and Twitter didn't around the, the graph and therefore the success of Roku as a public company over Twitter. Hence remains the opportunity of Twitter. So I love those three. Uh, I'm going to let you go because I know you're busy. I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with uh, the StockTwits community and uh, talking and humanizing the uh, Tinder brand. And uh, congrats. I never got to talk to you since you took the deal. I miss seeing you at CES. I don't know. Are you going to go to the events like that still? I guess you have to. Yeah, I'll be back there for sure. But good luck to all of you on on Tinder. Sounds like you need it. Um, I'll be looking out for you. Yeah. <laughs> Is there like a back channel? Is there like a code word exactly. back channel for Tinder? Like a how to? No, I mean give you some. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you want the tips of, uh, of an a, old man. Guy's been married twenty three years, but yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll have drinks. All right. Good to see you, Jim. Thanks uh, for taking the time with us. All right, everybody. Thanks for having me. All right. See you. So there you have it, Jim. Just right. a great guy. Yeah. And I had to bring it up, Nikita, to just talk about the brands. It's interesting, his choices, right? Like, yeah, he's a brand guy, so he knows Twitter as a brand, right? And, Spot- you know, Spotify is number one on my list. And Roku's the one, I think those are three interesting choices, because Roku's the one that, like, I just dismissed. And they've, they built a brand, and behind it, an incredible business. And yeah. Twitter's the one we all gravitate to, but can't get out of their own way. So it was an interesting three choices. That's why I was, I'm glad I got to hear his thoughts. I don't know if he owns the stocks or no, but I can tell he's on Twitter. I mean, that's generally where I hit him up. And for you too, Nikita, you love Twitter. I, I do. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably the only app that I use consistently on a daily basis. And why isn't that more of a dating app? Because if you like the banter, in a way, a woman that knows how to use it, it's the ultimate dating app, I would think. I think you're right. I, and I think that it's cool in a way, too, that, you know, people get to know you over time. So, you know, what what Jim was talking about, that the ability to form a connection and maybe a friendship and then the dating comes later. So I do think that Twitter has that potential for sure. Huh. Interesting. All right, Knut. Yeah. You awake? I am so awake. This was an <laughs> enlightening conversation for someone who's who's so close to 60 that he doesn't know what to say. Well, the, the funny thing is, I mean, it's interesting that he said 30% on of, of, um, both apps are women. So 70% of men are out there prowling. Right. Basically. I mean, it's crazy, the low odds. Like, I mean, it's it's a nice time to be a, a woman who can carry herself. Like, it's just endless opportunity. I also think it's, uh, Nikita can probably confirm this, but there's a lot of creeps uh, my age that are out there too. <laughs> Well, they're lying about their age, Nikita told me. I didn't get to ask this question, but no, I didn't want actually, to I, I, I was telling Howard that men lie about their age, and it's just hilarious to watch it just because they want to, you know, be on. I'm the other way. Matches. I tell people I'm 65 so I can get a, oh, you look good. Because <laughs> if they guess my age, I'm always insulted. They go, oh, well, how old are you? I'm like, you said that like you think I'm 80. 85? Damn, you look good. So you think if I was single, God forbid. And I went on Tinder. I think 60 would be cool because you could slay the 40 year olds. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. The, uh, the, uh, that's a wrap. The, uh, anyways, this is uh, Panic with Friends. That was Jim Lenzone, CEO of Tinder. And uh, we get together once a week, have uh, friends of mine. Uh, there is no panic. What's the point of talking about panic when you have someone like Jim on the phone? He's calm, cool, collected, operator. Um, and, uh, we talk to these guests, kind of look a little bit into the future, 
we got some ideas from him about brands that he uh, roots for. And uh, you can find us on the Apple Podcast app. You can find us on the Tinder Podcast app. Is there a Tinder Podcast app? There should be one. I'm going to email him on that. And uh, Google, Spotify, just search my name, Howard Lindzen, uh, Panic with Friends. Thanks, Nikita. Thanks, Canute. Thanks, Doc Toots. We'll see everybody soon.